If you have your Bible, I want you to take those out and turn with me uh, to Exodus uh, chapter 13. Uh, have that open. We're going to be in three different chapters here in Exodus this morning, and so uh, just keep that Bible open, or if you have your Bible app on your phone, however, just, just keep that because we're going to be in various places this morning. But let me ask you as you're getting settled, have, have you ever had the opportunity to meet somebody famous? You're, you're, anybody been in the presence of somebody famous? I've had a few opportunities in my life to at least be close to people who are famous. Uh, the first time I really remember it was I was on a mission trip of all places in Russia, and when I was in Russia, we were walking through the flea market, and guess who comes walking through the flea market? None other than Bobby Knight. Now, people my age know that the young folks today say, Bobby Knight, who's Bobby Knight, right? But if you're my age, you remember when Bobby Knight coached the Indiana Hoosiers. And so here I was in Russia walking through the flea market, and here comes Bobby Knight. I'll tell you, when I first saw him, I was a little overwhelmed because I never realized how big of a man he is. He's just a huge, tall man, and so I was overwhelmed by his presence. And, and so as we talked to him there in Russia, I was amazed. He was a fairly pleasant man until we told him we were from Kentucky, and once we told him that we were from Kentucky, his language changed, and I was not surprised by that, all right, because a lot of foul words began to come out of his mouth, but there in that moment, I was kind of overwhelmed to meet him. Then there was a time where I had a friend who got tickets to the Ryder Cup when it was at Valhalla in Louisville, and so he invited me to go one day, and I remember being on that golf course, and here was all these golfers that I had only seen on TV, and so I was in awe, and I'd watch them hit that ball, and I thought, man, how amazing they are, and so I was just so intrigued by them. And then we made it to this one hole, and we're all behind the cords watching these golfers. And lo and behold, there's another spectator comes walking on the inside of the rope. And so we're looking at it and says, who's that walking on the inside? Because, you know, we all have to be behind this rope. Who's walking on the inside? And it was none other than Michael Jordan. And I'm going to tell you, in that moment, the golfers weren't so intriguing to me because I was more interested in watching Michael Jordan, who was watching the other golfers. Because again, I stood there and I was just overwhelmed by his presence. You see, in all of those situations, I was kind of overwhelmed by these, these famous people who were on that spot. And I know for me, I'll say this personally, every one of those situations were a little intimidating. When Bobby Knight came walking through that flea market, if I had been alone, I'll tell you, I would have never said a word to him. But my friend that was with me, he wasn't intimidated one bit. He went right up to him and introduced himself and just found out, yeah, this was Bobby Knight. And man, so we just had this interaction. So I know when I look at that, I'm thinking, man, we had such different responses to being in the presence of those who were famous. Now, I don't know how you would respond in the presence of a celebrity, but I have a more important question for you. Okay, think about this. How would you respond in the presence of God? Isn't that a more important question? Rather than how am I going to respond in the presence of a celebrity, how will I respond in the presence of God? Now, maybe you have a gut reaction to that question or not. But today we're going to look at this fact that God dwells with his people. And the fact that God does dwell with his people means this, that we are going to have some kind of response to him. And what we'll see in the scriptures today is the response to God's presence is not something that just varies from person to person, but it is a response in every person's life that varies from occasion to occasion. For those that joined us last week or who watched the service online at some point, you know that we looked at Moses being called by God to go to Egypt and lead the Israelites out of bondage. We saw in Moses' calling that God truly does hear, see, and act to deliver his people. 
I believe it's important that I remind you, though, that as we look at Moses as the deliverer of Israelites, that really said this, that God had come to deliver his people. That's what God said. In other words, it was God doing the delivering, not Moses. And as you read the account of the Israelites leaving Egypt, it is quite clear that God was with his people. And today we're going to look at three specific instances where God's presence was evident with the Israelites And we're going to see what their response was. And in their responses, we'll see the response that that can be brought into our life when we recognize the presence of God. Let's begin in Exodus 13, where I've asked you to turn. We're going to begin in verse 17. And at this point, God has sent all the plagues on Egypt. Pharaoh has let the people go. And the people are leaving with abundance of things that, that once belonged to the Egyptians. And God is leading them to the land that he has promised. Look at what we read. It says, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their mind when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now down to verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Now, a quick note I want to make here after reading these verses is that God, listen, always leads in a way that is best, not in the way that might seem the best to us. The Israelites most likely would have thought the best way to where they were going would be the shortest route, but God knew that the shortest route contained the Philistines, and though no doubt God could have conquered the Philistines, he knew that the people of Israel might get discouraged if the first thing they encountered was a warring people. God knew the people would be tempted to say, let's go back to Egypt because it's better to be slaves than to be in war. Therefore, God took them a different way. The most important, though, thing I want you to see is that in these verses, though, even though God was leading in the right way, it's this, that God was leading with his presence, that he had made his presence known to his people. The text reads that God went before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In this moment, God gave clear evidence of his presence. There's no doubt that God was dwelling with his people. Now, let's pause and reflect for a moment, can we? Put yourself in the place of the Israelites. You've spent your entire life in slavery. You are leaving what you have known for a promise, a promise of a better life in a fruitful land, but a land that you've never been to. It is completely unknown to you. There are so many uncertainties on the horizons. Let me ask you in this moment, would you be a little nervous? Right? Maybe a little excited about the possibilities, right? But at the same time, a little nervous because you say, this is all unknown to me. We don't know what lies ahead. There's so much uncertainty before us. And so let me ask you, if that's the case, if as you are going, there is a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night that is leading you and you know that is God's presence in that pillar, how would that make you feel? Reassured? All right, a little better, all right, a little bit, maybe more confident, however you want to put it, but let's state it this way, okay, that God's presence is comforting. See, God had already told Moses, I'll be with you. And at every step, we see that God is there, not only demonstrating his power, but giving his guidance and reassurance. God was there bringing comfort to his people. Now, here's what I know. I've never had God show me his presence in a pillar of cloud or light, but at times he has made his presence very clear to me. 
He has reminded me many times in my life that he is already ahead of me and he is preparing the way. I've had numerous times when God placed someone on my mind and I gave them a call only to hear them say on the other end, I was thinking about calling you. Or even times when there was something that I was thinking that I needed to talk to Kim about, but was afraid to. But when I brought it up to her, she said, I was thinking about that exact same thing. In fact, one of the biggest times in my life where God showed me that he was preparing the way and he was going before me when, when I was feeling the call into ministry. And it was a little bit scary to consider telling your wife that, that you feel like you need to quit your stable job that you have just got after four and a half years of college to pursue a life of ministry, a life that meant that immediately there would be a loss of income, that also immediately it would mean an increased expense as you started into seminary and mean that there is an uncertain future. I can tell you that was a scary time where you're thinking, I need to tell my wife all these things. But it's very comforting when you start to have that conversation. But before you utter a word, she turns to you and says, this is not what we're supposed to be doing with our life. And it reminds me that God was already preparing the way. I'm even going to say this. This is in, not in my notes because it just happened this morning. At the beginning of the year, I started a random devotion that I was going to do all year long. All right. So I get to this morning's devotion. And what is this morning's devotion talking about? It's talking about Moses and how God's presence was with his people. You know what that reaffirmed to me? God was telling me, Scott, I've already went in front of you. I have already prepared the way. I was even giving you a devotion this morning to prepare your heart to be ready to preach. And see, one of the reasons that God's presence likes this, brings us comfort is because of this. It reminds us of God's grace. Th think about this. None of us deserves God's presence in our life, do we? Do we? No, none of us do. He loves us and cares for us, not because of who we are, but because of his grace. We sometimes forget that. We often get this idea that we deserve things but if we stop and consider our lives, we really don't deserve anything from God but his punishment. Yet instead, God gives us his presence to comfort us in life. He gives us his presence, which leads and provides. And no doubt for the Israelites, God's presence seen in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of light was comforting. Now, the second occasion I want us to look at now is in Exodus 20. You can turn over a few pages in your Bible, but by this time... We get to the events of chapter 20. The Israelites have seen God do some pretty tremendous things as he led them by this pillar of cloud, but God had also taken them. And at this point in time, he parted the Red Sea, allowing the Israelites to cross on dry ground, saving them from the Egyptian army. God had provided miraculously food and water for them to drink, bread from heaven and water from a rock. God had brought victory over the Amalekites when they came to fight against the Israelites. And through all these things aboard, God brought the children of Israel to, the Mount, to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And it was there at Mount Sinai where Moses went up the mountain to speak with God. And as God appeared on the mountain, there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud and even a trumpet blast. And as God appeared in these ways, we see at the beginning of chapter 20 where God gives the Ten Commandments, which is something that most of us are familiar with. But what I want us to look at, though, is the people's response to God's presence on this occasion. Look down at verse 18. It says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Now, folks, listen. This is in contrast to what we just saw as the people began their journey out of Egypt. 
where they find comfort in the presence of God who is leading them in that pillar. Because here's what we're going to see. This time as the people see God up on that mountain and as they see him speaking, we understand that God's presence sometimes is overwhelming. You see, in these verses I just read, we saw where the people were afraid and they trembled. They stood far off and told Moses that they didn't want God to speak to them or they would die. Now, this is very clearly an intense moment that brought fear into their lives. At these moments, they were so terrified of God, they didn't even want to seem to be near to him. In fact, they wanted Moses, in a sense, to keep God at a distance from them. That seems a little strange, doesn't it? Does that seem a little strange to you? You know, keep God at a distance. I would say, God, no, I want you near. But the people are saying, no, Moses, you kind of keep God at a distance. You, you talk to us, but don't let him talk to us. Now, I can remember a few tense moments in my life that I've experienced that gives me a small glimpse of what the Israelites were feeling. I remember one time when I was in middle school, something happened and I got called into the principal's office. All right. Now, I wasn't the one in trouble or I didn't think I was going to be the one in trouble anyway. But I can tell you, when I walked in that principal's office, it was terrifying. Now, why was it so terrifying? Because of this. Because I know that principal had all the power. That principal could do anything to me he wanted. Even if I wasn't guilty, I guess that principal could have declared me guilty and I could have suffered whatever that cause was. And so I walked in that moment and I was terrified in the presence of that principal. I'm also reminded of a time where I got subpoenaed to court. You ever been subpoenaed to court? I'm going to tell you, it's not a fun feeling, all right? Again, once again, it wasn't for something that I did. I was a witness to something that happened, but I got subpoenaed. All right, first of all, I probably should say I was nervous when the deputy first delivered the subpoena to me, all right? That was bad enough. But then I remember walking in the courthouse that day, not knowing what was going to happen, and I was terrified thinking I was going to have to go in front of the judge, and I was going to have to speak what I saw. I, again, I, I, I was just terrified, all right? Now, as I think about those two moments, as I think about how terrified and scary I was in them, here's what I know. That's what these people of Israel were experiencing in this moment. Because here's what they knew, okay? They knew God's power was overwhelming. I'm going to say this. God's power is much greater than the power of a principal or a judge. Amen? Right? Think about it. God's power is eternal. God's power is ultimate. God has the power to determine life and death. God has the power that truly rules over our lives. And so as we consider his power, it is no wonder here in Exodus 20 that the people were afraid because most, most likely we would have been a little afraid too. Now, I am not sure specifically what about God's presence that brought such fear to the people, but let's remember this, all right? God had just delivered to them the Ten Commandments. These were the Ten Commandments of a holy God, a God, like I said, who had done incredible things in the sight of the people. It's not a small task to part the sea. It's not a small task to send bread from heaven and bring water from rock, not to mention all the plagues that God had, had sent there in Egypt, including the death of the firstborn. These people had clearly seen the power of God and what he can do to someone who doesn't listen to his words. So maybe these people heard God's commandments and in that moment realized how difficult it was going to be for them to keep what God had said. If you read just these Ten Commandments, you realize something. It's impossible to completely keep God's commands. Do I hear amen to that? No? Okay, a few moments, right? We all have at some times broken at least one of them. Actually, we've broken multiple of them. Think about this. Even the first one, we find it hard to keep, do we not? 
It says, have no other gods before me. In other words, have no other gods before the true God. That command alone probably had to stun the Israelites who'd grown up in Egypt in a land full of false gods. No doubt some false gods had become a part of their lives. And even though they were not real, the people had to become dependent upon the worship of these false gods. And so when they were told, oh, you worship the only one God, they were thinking, how are we going to do that? Or how about covet? All right, take that command. Haven't we all coveted at times? Right? We all have a tendency to want what others have that we don't have. The people of Israel in this moment most likely realized that God is holy and they were not. And the thought overwhelmed them as we should be overwhelmed by the presence of God. Listen, folks, I don't know if you have recognized this, but the all of God is something that we have lost a little in our society because we have this tendency to make God in our image. No doubt God has revealed himself as a caring, loving, compassionate, personal God. However, that doesn't negate the fact that he is holy, all-knowing, and all-powerful, and a God of justice. And those things should make us tremble as they did with the people of Israel because we, like them, can never fully keep the commands of God. But there's something interesting. Moses went on to say this to the people. Look what he said in verse 20. It says, Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Look at this. Moses first tells them not to fear, all right? And that's what I would say to you today. Do not fear God. So Moses says, do not fear. Then Moses gives them some truly important insight. We often look at God's commandments and they frighten us, they worry us, we feel like they restrict us, but Moses made it clear that what God was doing in the Ten Commandments even was an act of His grace. He was seeking to help people fear Him in an appropriate way so that they would not sin. The goal of the commandments was not to give us a standard that we could not meet, The goal of the commandments was ultimately to point us to God so that we would turn to him and find strength in him and then find the ability to live for him. Remember, even in Romans 3, it says this, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Notice this, all right? The law, the Ten Commandments, none of that justifies a person. Did, Did you hear that? doesn't justify us. Here's what the law does. The law brings you the knowledge of sin so that you see your need to be rescued by God. Think about this this morning. The things that the commandments addressed did not become wrong when the commandments were given, did they? Yes or no? Did they become wrong when the commandments were given? Yes or no? This is a test. All right, I'll tell you. No, right? They were wrong before the commandments were given. Well, then why did God give the commandments? God simply gave us the commandments so that we would recognize the wrong that already existed so that we could recognize clearly what was right. But not only recognize what was right, but also recognize that our only hope of overcoming those wrong actions was Jesus. In fact, a few verses later in Romans 3, we read like this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. 
Now, many of us here this morning, you recognize verse 23 because it's often quoted to remind people that they have failed to live up to God's standards. I bet you've heard that quoted a lot, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Have you heard that quoted many times? But you know what? We often forget verse 24 that tells us then we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, just those verses remind us that even when God reminds us of our sin, he is ultimately doing that as an act of his grace because he is wanting to remind us that he has provided the answer, that he has provided the means of forgiveness and has given us the means to walk in his commands. In fact, let's notice quickly what God says to the people as he continues to speak to them, his commands, including his direction on worship in verse 24. And he says, an altar of earth you shall make for me. And sacrifice on your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. And every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and what? And bless you. God here even reminded the people that if they would worship him properly, that he would come to them and he would bless them. Folks, how awesome it is to think that God wants to bless us. That's tremendously awesome. But that is God's desire. See, we should not be surprised that God's presence overwhelmed the Israelites, but we should let it remind us that when God overwhelms us, he overwhelms us to show us his grace and his desire to bless his people. Now, as we continue, the third instance that I want us to look at this morning is found in Exodus 33. And it's a perfect follow-up for the second one. Why? Because verse 30, or chapter 33 is preceded by Exodus 32, where the children of Israel have failed mightily. All right, you're talking about the Ten Commandments and failing? Verse 32 is a perfect example of their failure. While Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God, the people get concerned, and so they build for themselves a golden calf to worship. Think about several things. How could they so quickly turn their backs on a God who had proven himself with the mighty acts of deliverance? How could they? It is because we as people, hear me, We as people quickly forget what God has done for us, right? It's kind of the old saying, you heard it, right? What have you done for me lately, right? What what have you done for me lately, God? And so if you haven't done what I want in this moment, we'll turn our back because that's who we are as people. Think about this. I've even experienced it over the last few months as a preacher in this time of COVID. I've had people, because we've asked our folks to to do the the mandate, as the governor said, and wear masks, they have quickly turned uh, who are best friends and said, hey, I'm not going to have anything to do with you anymore. And they've left the church for a simple thing because of masks. Why? Because we as people have a quick way of turning, do we not? And think about that. That's a simple reminder because think about God. What we do is more than worse than than turning on a human is that we turn on God all the time. And God has done so much for us in our life, but we quickly turn our back. And there are times, you know, I've deserved people to turn their back on me. But I'm going to say this. God has never deserved us to turn our back on him. But that's what we do. And God says, listen, you should worship me and worship me alone. But these people quickly in their lives turn away from the living God. Now, to make things worse, consider this. The gold that these Israelites were using to build the golden calf, you know how they had come into possession of those things? You know how they come in possessions? It was God who had caused the Egyptians to give them their many possessions. Listen to Exodus 12. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they ask. Thus, they plundered the Egyptians. 
So are you getting a picture? God had blessed them, and God had took that blessing, or they had took the blessing that God had given them, and they used it not to worship God, but instead to make a false God to worship. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty horrible. Any agreement on that? All right. But wait, wait. Don't we often do the same? Remember, everything we have has been given to us by God. He was allowing us to be stewards of what we have. But what do we often do? We take the blessings that God has given us and use them to worship false gods. The tithe that belongs to the Lord, we use to buy a bigger house than we need or a newer car we didn't need or use it to support habits that keep us from worshiping God, whether that be sports or music or recreation of all sorts. We often use the blessing that God has given us to worship other things but God. You see, we are no different than the people of Israel. Amen? No amens, but thank you. All right, we got one from a child who says amen. That's right. Now, back to Exodus. How do you think God felt in regards to the people's sin? Angered, right? Sure. In fact, look at what God told Moses in Exodus 33:3. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Wow. Look, look what God says. God says here that he is going to keep his promise. Okay? They're going to make it to the promised land, but here's the reality. God says, but I'm not going to go with you. God says this, notice, because he knew that if he went with them as they currently were, that he would consume them because they were a stiff-necked people. God cannot overlook sin, and so he knew moving forward, if the people didn't change, then he would have to destroy them. Therefore, in a way, God saying his presence wouldn't go with them was an act of his grace. But notice what God's presence can be. God's presence can be convicting, all right? Think about this. Let's read the next few verses. When the people heard this disastrous word, okay, <laughs> that's a good explanation, right? God has just said, You're gonna go, but I'm not going to go with you. Good way to describe it. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Now notice what happened here in God's presence. The people were convicted of their wrongdoing. Notice when it says that no one put on their ornaments and that the people stripped off their ornaments. It's as if the people here recognize that what they used, because they used some of this jewelry to make an idol that they worship. Now in this moment, they were doing what God was asking. They were casting off all that jewelry to show God, we are serious about dealing with our sin. We know that we use this as a form to, wor to worship an idol, but now God, we're casting all this off because why? We are serious about dealing with our sin. We are repenting of the wrong that we have done. From there, we see where Moses set up a tent of meeting where he goes to meet with God and intercede for the people. And as God would descend upon that tent in a cloud, the people would rise and worship at their tent door. Here, what we see is the people desiring to make their lives right with God, to repent of their failures and turn back to God. As Moses continues to intercede for the people, we see God respond by saying this, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. In other words, God pours out his grace again. 
You know, this act by God reminds me of truth found in Romans 5. That says, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. In other words, God here shows that when his presence brings conviction, he is bringing conviction so that sin might be dealt with, might be forgiven, and the people be restored. Why? Because God, hear me, always wants to be with his people. In fact, Moses said this in Exodus 33, 16. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? You see, Moses knew something, ready? That the only thing that made the Israelites unique was God's presence with them, as with us. God's presence in our life should make us unique. And in case you didn't already know this, God desires to dwell with his people. God desires to dwell with us. When Jesus came to earth, John records in his gospel that in John 1, 14, it says, and the word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us, all right? And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. In other words, Jesus was God, what? Coming to dwell with his people in flesh. But some of you will say, well, Brother Scott, Jesus doesn't walk on the earth in flesh anymore. Well, if that's you, let me remember these words from Jesus in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to, to your advantage that I go away for you. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In other words, Jesus might not be present with us physically, but the Holy Spirit is promised to every believer. And since the Holy Spirit is God's presence in us, it means that God dwells with the believer at all times. Therefore, we need to consider what is our response to God's presence being with us at all times. Now, I'm not, I'm going, I am going to tell you it is just like we saw with the people of Israel. At times, God's presence will comfort us. Think about this in 2 Corinthians. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Folks, there's no doubt that part of what God wants to do for us is comfort us in our trouble. In fact, today, if you find yourself as a believer right now needing comfort for anything, I'm gonna encourage you today to turn to God. Because he wants to be that God of comfort for you. He wants to remind you that he is there. He wants to remind you that he is in control. He wants to remind you that if you look to him and seek his will, that everything will turn out for good. So when you need comfort, turn to God and his presence will comfort you. Sometimes, though, God's presence needs to overwhelm us. In 1 Timothy, Paul wrote this. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, in this passage, Paul was overwhelmed with the greatness of Jesus Christ. Yes, it reminded him of his shortcomings. And as he considered himself the foremost of sinners, that's just what the Ten Commandments did for the Israelites. But what that overwhelming reminder did was remind Paul of the magnitude of God's grace, of how Jesus Christ was patient with him, and how God wanted Paul's life to be an example of the grace of God. And as Paul walked in that grace, 
He lived a life that glorified God. That is what God wants for us. If he overwhelms you, it's to remind you that he's there for you to walk with you so that you can be example for others in this world. But then one step further, sometimes God's presence convicts us. In John 16, 8, it says, and when he, that be the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And we sometimes find ourselves where the Israelites did, clearly living in sin, turning our backs on God, taking the blessings that God has given us and even worship them rather than him. And in these moments, God clearly seeks to convict us instead of destroying us. He wants us to repent, throwing off those things that we are worshiping in place of him and turn back to him, be restored and receive the promise of his presence again. Now, with all that said, here's what I want to ask, okay? What reaction does God's presence need to spark in your life today? I'm here to tell you, God's presence is here, all right? If you're a believer, especially I know this, the Holy Spirit is in you, so God's presence is in your life. If you're not recognizing it today, whose problem is that? Is it God's? It's probably yours. Probably something's going on that's got you distracted, all right? But his presence is here. So let me ask you, take a moment, dwell, think in this moment. God's here. What needs to be your reaction to that presence today? Some of you, let's be honest, you come here and you're hurting. You're wounded. There's something going on in your life. Let me encourage you today to look to God because you know what he wants to do in this moment? He wants to comfort you. Look to him. He loves you. He's ready to provide. And so turn your eyes to him and say, God, come and bring me comfort. And the God of all comfort will comfort you right now. I have no doubt that he wants to overwhelm you and he wants to remind you and he wants you to say, it's going to be okay. Hold on because I am in control. Let him comfort you today. Do some of you just need to be overwhelmed by God? I mean, have you got to that moment where you're walking through life and maybe life is ho-hum and maybe you just ignored God? In this moment, would you recognize how awesome, how mighty he is? All right, recognize that he's an all-powerful God. Let him overwhelm you. And in that moment, maybe let him show you your, your, your weakness and how weak you are. Because if you get to that place where you recognize his greatness and recognize your weakness, you're in a place where, you know what? You can let him lead you. And what God wants you to do is pour his grace down upon you today and help you to live for him so that you might be a light out in this world. And trust me, our world needs a lot of light, right? So look to him. Let him overwhelm you today. Pour his grace down that you might go out and be used by him. But let's be honest. Some of you here today in his presence, you need to be convicted this morning. Maybe today you've come here and there's some sin going on in your life and you recognize ultimately it's a sin against the holy God. And maybe you think it's hidden. Maybe for you today, your sin is pornography and maybe nobody sees it because you do it alone. God sees it. You don't need to repent. Why not come today and repent? Maybe today you've just turned your back on God and you're running from his call in your life, something that, that you know he wants you to do. Well, God's asking you today to confess that to him and come back. to you. He's ready. He's never given up on you, even when you gave up on him. Maybe today you've been coveting. Maybe today you've been lusting. Maybe today you've been lying. I don't know what it is today. Maybe there's something, whatever it is, you know what it is. If you're convicted today, you know what it is. Here's what God is asking you to do in this moment. Find conviction, turn to him, repent, find his grace and be restored. Because again, God loved us all so much. He sent Jesus to dwell with us. 
to walk this earth, to die on a cruel cross, to pay for all of your sin today so that by faith, if you trust in him, he'll pour his grace down upon you and he'll forgive you. And so if this morning what you need in the presence of God is conviction, be convicted, but turn to God's grace and be forgiven. I want us in these moments, Luke and the praise team, they're going to come and they're going to lead us in a song of worship. And as they lead us in the song of worship, here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to recognize God's presence. And in that presence, I want you to consider what today needs to be my response to him. What does it need to be? To be overwhelmed by his comfort to be overwhelmed by his power today and just to be, you know, just, just to say, God, I, I recognize who you are, so Lord, I give my life to you. Or is it today, Lord, to be convicted? If so, listen, I want you to know this altar is open for any need. Pray, come, that comfort. Come and pray this morning just for God to use you. Come pray this morning for forgiveness. Whatever your need is, I'll even be down front. I'm gonna put my mask on, I'll be there, I'll greet you. If you need somebody to pray with you, you come this morning. But what? Reaction, do you need a God's presence? Recognize it this morning and respond to him appropriately. Let's pray together. Our Father, as we do bow today, Lord, in this time of worship, we know that you're here. We know that you're here even, Father, when there's times we've allowed ourselves to get distracted and not even recognize your very presence. Father, that doesn't change the fact that you're here. And so, Father, in these moments as we come to a time of invitation, Lord, I pray that you would move amongst us And Father, you would speak to hearts. And I know there are different responses that are needed this morning, God. Some truly just need to be comforted by you today. Some need to be overwhelmed just to be reminded of how great you are. Some need to be convicted. I know all those are probably present with us this morning. And I just simply pray that whatever the response needs to be, that all who are here will respond appropriately to you. So bless this invitation, God. I want your spirit to truly move. God, again, you know that this is an imperfect preacher who sought to preach your word. But Father, we know that you are a perfect God. And Lord, you can do perfect things. And so work perfectly in our life during this time in Jesus' name. Amen.